Romans chapter 16, please. Romans chapter 16. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. Romans 16, last chapter in the book of Romans, verse number 1. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sancria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who is the firstfruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countryman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ with their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greet you, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Father God, as we wrap up this study of the book of Romans, I pray today you'd speak to our hearts. And Lord, you know how I first looked at this passage and thought to myself, there's not going to be a whole lot to say here since it's just a lot of names. And yet, Lord, I thank you for how you've spoken to me through it. And I pray that as we now all look at it, I pray that you'd speak to us all. Teach us from this wonderful list. And help us, Lord, to see from these final thoughts that Paul shared here in uh, this wonderful book. Uh, help us, Lord, to just kind of wrap it up and wrap it up well. 
And Lord, we know the whole thing has been about the gospel, the power that saves. And I pray today that uh, throughout all of the 39 now uh, different studies that we've had in this book, I pray that the gospel has gotten into the hearts of everyone in this room. And if there's anyone who has not yet responded to it, I pray they would today. So we pray all that in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, also that you would fill me with your spirit to speak right now clearly and accurately, uh, that you'd help me to not be distracted, that you'd help me, Lord God, to say what I should. And, Lord, if there's anything that I ought not say, help me not say it. And just uh, use me to teach today, I pray. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Once more, with a reverent license of thought, we may imagine ourselves to be watching in detail the scene in the house of Gaius. Hour upon hour has passed over Paul and his scribe as the wonderful message has developed itself at once and everywhere, the word of man and the word of God. They began at morning, and the themes of sin and righteousness and glory of the present and the future of Israel, of the duties of the Christian life, of the special problems of the Roman mission have carried the hours along to noon, to afternoon. And now the apostle pacing the chamber as men are wont to do when they use the pens of others, is aware that his message is at an end as to doctrine and counsel. But before he bids his willing and wondering secretary rest from his labors, he has to discharge his own heart of the personal thoughts and affections which have lain ready in it all the while, and which his last words about his coming visit to the city have brought up in all their life and warmth. And now Paul and Tertius are no longer alone. Other brethren have found their ways to the chamber. Timothy, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, Gaius himself, Quartus, and no less a neighbor than Erastus, treasurer of Corinth. A page of personal messages is yet to be dictated from St. Paul and from his friends. Well, that's where we are now. That's where we have finally come to as we come to the final chapter in this magnificent letter to the Romans. The gospel, according to Paul, has been presented. He has spoken clearly and earnestly of how all need it, all need the gospel. Uh, he has spoken of how God's wrath is revealed and must be reckoned with, of, all, of how all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yeah, we all need the truths that Paul has spoken of in the gospel as presented here in Romans. He's also spoken of the wonderful love and grace of God that freely justifies the believer because of Christ's shed blood. Being justified freely by his blood, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He has developed the glorious doctrines of justification and adoption and propitiation and sanctification, all of these things. He has spoken of God's holiness and justice, his grace and mercy and love. He has told of the believer's need and God's provision and hope and assurance and security. He has developed in depth the lifestyle that should result from having received the unspeakable gift of salvation. He has reminded us that we ought not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. He's covered it all. He's covered it all. And there's only a personal note or two left to be appended, and then this letter can be sealed up and sent off to the believers in Rome. In this section, the Apostle Paul primarily is speaking to a group of people. Uh, he's sharing a final thought or two, but he's speaking primarily to some friends. And I want to break the thing down by uh, kind of looking at it that way. I want us to talk about his friends, and there's a bunch of them. And one particular friend I want to call out just a little bit specifically, and that's Phoebe. We'll come back to her. Uh, we'll save her for 
uh, after we've talked about the others. And then I also want to notice that he has some final thoughts that he shares here as well. So that's, that's the outline this morning. Friends, Phoebe, finalities or final thoughts. Let's look first of all at verses 3 through 16 in verses 21 through 23 and talk about his friends. Spread across this chapter are a whole bunch of names, and these names can be divided basically into three different categories. First of all, there's a group of people who are in Rome. That's the first list, and it's also the largest list that we will look at. People who were known to Paul somehow, and uh, to whom he was now sending greetings and words of love and encouragement. The second grouping of people, which we see down in verses 21 through 23, are people who were with him as he was writing this letter in Corinth. Uh, that's the, a smaller group, but they also were adding their greeting to Paul's as he wrote. And then the third group is the smallest by far, contains one person, Phoebe. And that's the group that was not uh, that was going from Corinth to Rome. So we have some who are in Rome, some who are in Corinth, and one who is going from Corinth to Rome. Recently, just a week or so ago, the elders, uh, all of us, gathered together for an all-day retreat. And during that retreat, we spoke of many things and we prayed about many things. But one of the things we did is we prayed for every single person that is in our database, basically. Every attender of our church. Not just the members, but everybody. If you're in our database, you were prayed for by name that day. And I think that we all thought at first that it would be a gargantuan task. That's a lot of names. That's a tremendous number of names. But you know what we found? We found that as the names were mentioned... The Lord brought to mind the faces and the people and the families and the needs and the wants and things that we knew. And it really wasn't that hard to pray for that many people uh, together. And I, I've got to believe that, uh, you know, the, the quote that I read to you in, in opening was by a commentator named Moore, and, and he was kind of picturing what it must have been like as Paul was dictating this final thing. But I've got to believe, and maybe I'm imagining like he was, uh, that Paul was experiencing something similar here as he named these names, and all these people were coming to his mind. And uh, Tertius, as amanuensis, would write it down. So who were these people Paul sent greetings to? Well, here's how one source described the list. This list of greetings that Paul wanted conveyed to friends in Rome is the longest in any of his epistles. He mentioned 26 people by name, and he referred to many others. Several women are included in the list. Priscilla, Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, Rufus's mother, and Nereus's sister. Two others are possibly women, we can't be sure. Junius in verse 7 and Julia in verse 15, because those names could be either male or female. Now, there's much about these friends we don't know. In almost all of the cases, this is the only mention of the person that we have in Scripture. And so everything we know about them is what we find here. Almost every case, in almost every case, we can only surmise how Paul and they had met and how the relationship had developed. We just don't know a whole lot. One commentator says what the nature of these friendships was, we know in some instances for we're told here, but... Why the persons were at Rome and the place which Paul himself had never reached, we don't know, nor ever shall. So what can we learn from Paul's friends who were in Rome, especially from that largest group that uh, was mentioned there in verse, or in chapter 16? Look at verse number 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now, these are the only two that are in the list that we really do know a whole lot about. 
because they are mentioned several other places in Scripture, I believe six other times, you will find mention in the New Testament to Priscilla and Aquila. One source explains Paul first met Priscilla and Aquila when he arrived in Corinth on his second missionary journey. That's Acts chapter 18. He worked with them at their trade of tent making. They had come to Corinth from Rome because of Claudius's decree that all Jews must leave Rome. They accompanied Paul when he left Corinth, but stayed in Ephesus when the party stopped briefly. There they ministered to Apollos and undoubtedly to Paul during his stay in Ephesus on his third journey because they sent greetings to the Corinthian Christians. Shortly after that, they must have moved back to Rome and still later returned to Ephesus because in Second Timothy we see reference to that. So we know a fair amount about Priscilla and Aquila. But Paul told us two additional things about him here that we didn't see anyplace else. First of all, he mentioned here that they had risked their necks for him. Did you see that mention? Priscilla and Aquila had apparently put themselves at great risk to save Paul from some danger. And nothing is known about that event. We have no other reference to it anywhere in Scripture, so we don't really know what it was. But Paul points out that in doing so, they not only helped him, but they helped the entire Gentile world. And it's an interesting reminder, isn't it? At least it is to me, that we never know when we stick our neck out for God who we're really helping and what we're really accomplishing. They no doubt loved Paul as he loved them. They no doubt thought they were simply helping and rescuing a friend. But that simple act, whatever it was, benefited every Gentile then and since. That single, simple act impacted the entire world at that time and in the millennia since. They could have had no idea what their action was accomplishing for God. It reminds me of the song by Ray Boltz. You remember Ray Boltz's song, I Dreamed I Went to Heaven? And you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing. Then someone called your name. We turned and saw a young man running, and he was smiling as he came. And he said, friends, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait. You used to teach by Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. Then another man stood before you and said, Remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry? You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. And Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. One by one they came, far as the eye could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity, little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, in heaven, now proclaimed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. So with Aquila and Priscilla, who Paul remembered and loved and greeted. Their efforts on his behalf and on Christ's behalf were seemingly mundane and yet used mightily by God, such that even you and I today owe them a debt of gratitude. He mentioned something else about them here. He mentioned a second thing, and that is that they had a church in their house. Did you see that there? And this wasn't the only time that this was true of them. These two provide a wonderful example to us of how our homes need to be open and how hospitable Christians ought to be. Wherever they were, there were believers gathering in their home. Uh, they had done it when they were in Corinth, First Corinthians chapter 16. Earlier still, they had done it at Ephesus in Acts chapter 18. And now here we see them in Rome. Same thing. They model many things for us, but biblical hospitality 
must be near the top of the list, and we ought to learn from that from them. Well, let's go on. There's others in the list. Verse number five. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Eponidas was Paul's friend. That's about all we know about him. Paul loved him. Probably led him to the Lord if he was the first saved in Achaia, as Paul mentions here. And Paul was the first to evangelize there, which is probable. Uh, and it's also probable Paul led him to Christ. Verse number six, greet Mary who labored much for us. Greet Mary who labored much for us. So much can be said in a single sentence. Seven words. And they tell us so much. This Mary was but one of many Marys in the New Testament, and there's no reason to believe that she was the same as any of the others. She was just somebody named Mary. But she was described here as Mary the worker. Literally, Paul's language here is Mary the toiler. Mary the toiler. And she was one of those ones who had the gift of helps and was remembered here by Paul as a result. Verse number 7, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Possibly these two were husband and wife. We cannot know for sure. Uh, That name Junia could be a man's or a woman's name. So we don't know if it was two men or if it was a man and a woman. They were apparently Jews, as indicated by Paul referring to them as my countrymen. And they were apparently believers uh, before Christ met or before Paul met Christ on the Damascus Road. Somewhere along the line, we don't know where, we have no evidence or information about this other than right here, this faithful pair had endured imprisonment along with Paul. And here they're either being called apostles, and if that's the case, it's in the generic sense, like Barnabas was an apostle. The word apostle simply means uh, uh, messenger, basically, uh, and it can be used in the generic sense. Uh, if that's the case, and that's how it's applied to them here, it could also mean that they were renowned among the apostles. The language he used here could mean either. But in any case, they must have been saved and serving faithfully for a long time. If they had been saved before Paul. Probably 25 years or so. And Paul had been blessed by their long and faithful service and example. And as I thought about them this week, I thought, you know what, I I cannot help but be reminded of many I've known down through the years who have just kept on serving and serving and serving. We have some in the room this morning. Serving and serving. You know, a lot of people start out strong for Christ. Fewer continue serving Christ. And fewer still make it all the way to the end, still faithfully serving Christ. And those who, like Andronicus and Judea, stay by the stuff in our generation and just keep right on faithfully producing a lifetime of service are invaluable in their influence to others. Thank God. I don't know about you, but I praise God for the plodders, for those who just plod along and just keep on serving every day. They might not get any praise or any glory, but they just keep serving and serving and serving. Well, in verses 8 through 11, Paul mentioned four individuals of whom we know basically nothing, except that Paul loved them, and they were fellow servants of Christ and his church, Amplius, Urbanus, Apelles, and Herodian. Herodian was apparently a Jew, again referred to as my countryman, a Jew living in Rome. Amplius was a common name for a slave, so some commentators indicated that that probably was true of him, a slave who had come to know Christ. In verses 10 through 11, two households are mentioned, referencing several other individuals Paul didn't call by name. So who knows how many people are are included in those households, 
whole group of people. A household in that day wasn't just family. It would have been, you know, servants and uh, all kinds of things. So he mentioned the households of Aristobulus and Narcissus. Paul's language could indicate, and I think probably does, that the former were all believers, and the latter were only partially believers. Verse number 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. I read that from the New American Standard because it's clearer here than the New King James. Three mentioned, three women were mentioned here, Tryphena, Tryphosis, and Persis. The first two are said to be laboring, present tense. Persis is said to have labored, past tense, leading some to believe her an elderly believer whose days of active service were past. And yet Paul loved her. And we are reminded of the value of not only those who are young in the faith serving, but those who are old in the faith who have served. They're all valuable. Well, looking back over this list of names, oh, wait a minute, I skipped some. He rounds out the list with Rufus, his mother and mine, not meaning she was Paul's actual mother, but rather she had been like a mother to him. A syncretist, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren with them, Philologus and Julia, Darius and his sister in Olympus. Uh, we know nothing of any of those except that Paul considered them friends. So now, looking back over that list of names, we can't help but see something wonderful about Paul, can we? I don't know about you, but I I see it. Has there ever been a man, or a woman for that matter, on the face of this earth who had a more towering intellect than the Apostle Paul? I don't think so. I'd like to see him get in a room with Stephen Hawking. He'd tear him up. I don't believe there's ever been a mind like the Apostle Paul's. And yet, we're reminded here that his heart was equally enlarged. One commentator suggested of all these individuals, only Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament for certain. And yet, Paul knew them all individually and sent personal greetings to them and their associates. Paul could never be charged with not being a people person. And one other commentator said, as we read over this list of names, we find that Paul knew most of these people personally, which means that most were people he had met in his missionary travels. Either he had led these people to Christ, or they had worked with him, or he had been imprisoned with them for Christ's sake. And Paul loved them all. So he kept track of them and followed what happened to them in their work and travels. We, today, have telephones and good mail service and other modern means of quick communication, but I doubt that there are many of us who could name 24 people in another city, not to mention one we have never visited, people who are believers and whom we remember and support regularly in our prayers. The heart of Paul. Well, there's a second grouping that is mentioned here. That's the first, the largest. There's a second grouping of people, and I'll just mention them. Timothy and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you. Gaius, my host, the host of the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greet you. And Quartus, a brother, verses 21 through 23. Timothy is, of course, known to us. We know him because he is the... Uh, the one that has two uh, epistles written in his name or to him. Paul wrote to him the first and second Timothy. Gaius was the one in whose home the church was gathering and where Paul was staying. Erastus was an official in a local government. Uh, Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater were apparently Jews. Again, my countrymen. Tertius was Paul's scribe, writing down the words as Paul was dictating them to him. And so that's, uh, that's enough about them. You can think about them a little bit more if you want. So we've seen the, the main group in Rome, the group in Corinth. But let's talk about one final name that we need to comment on before leaving Paul's list of friends. 
and that's Phoebe. I skipped the first two verses. Let's read them now. Phoebe. I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sancria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. She was not on the list of believers currently in Rome to whom Paul was sending greetings, nor was she in the list of those who were in Corinth and whom he mentioned in verses 21 through 23. She's, she's singled out. She's the one person mentioned who was coming from Corinth to Rome, as is clear from the fact that Paul gave personal recommendation to her and uh, to, the, uh, to the recipients of the letter and asked them to receive her and help her. And so scholars are quite convinced, therefore, that Phoebe was the one who was tasked with carrying the letter from Paul to the believers in Rome. Well, here's what we can learn about this sister. And again, we know nothing about Phoebe other than what's right here. These two verses is all we have on her. But here's what we can learn from these two verses of Scripture. First of all, she was a woman, Phoebe, our sister. Secondly, she was a deacon who is a servant of the church in Sancria. The word servant there is the Greek word diakonon, from which comes our English word deacon. It's the same word used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where the qualifications of deacons are mentioned. The word can be used in a generic sense to describe someone who is just a servant. It can just mean servant in a generic sense. And in that way, all of us should be deacons, because we're all called upon to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. But it can also be used to describe those set aside and called out by a local church to serve in the official capacity that has come to be known as the office of deacon. Phoebe was more than just the generic use of the word because Paul specifically said here that she was serving officially as a servant, a deacon of the church at Sancria. And so most most scholars, it's not not unanimous, but most scholars uh, believe that that she was in that, the official office of a deacon in the church of St. Crete. You know, when I first accepted the call to pastor here, there were some things about this church that uh, galled me a bit. Uh, this church, I had a couple things that I, I felt it had strayed from Scripture. There were women serving as elders here when I first came here. And there were deaconesses here, women serving as deacons. And the first, the elders thing, is clearly a violation of Scripture. God has said plainly that that particular office is to be male. There's not a single example in Scripture of a woman serving in the office of elder. Our culture may decry that, but just as in every other area of Christian life, we have to choose whether we're going to obey God or men whether we're going to listen to culture or the Word of God. We ought to obey God rather than men, we're told. And so we got rid of the women elders. We don't have women elders here anymore. But in reading and researching the Scriptures, I had to conclude something different about the the office of deacon and deaconess. Uh, You know, I, I was raised in this church when I was a child, but then I went off and my training and everything else was Baptist. And in the Baptist churches that I was familiar with and had been involved in, there weren't deaconesses. There just never was. Now, my favorite Baptist of all time did have deaconesses. He also had elders, and that was uh, Charles Spurgeon. But you just didn't normally see it. But the thing is, Phoebe, uh, in reading and researching the Scriptures, I had to conclude that women deacons were mentioned in Scripture. 
And it specifically says right here, Phoebe, a deacon. And we could argue about 1 Timothy chapter 3, but I think it's also touched on there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so the deaconess role remained and remains here at French Bible. We do have deaconesses here. Because just as we choose to obey God rather than culture, we, we choose also to obey God and His Word rather than ecclesiastical teachings. You know, I don't care what the church says. I care what the Bible says. And that's what we should all care. So she was a deacon, a deaconess. We learn also that she, like Paul's other friends mentioned here, had helped Paul and others. She had been a helper of many and of myself also, he said. And so perhaps we could also infer here that she was another one of these things, like Mary the toiler, who had the gift of helps. And we see also that Paul expected the receiving believers in Rome to afford her the same respect and courtesy they would any other emissary coming from him to them, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. We could probably maybe think of some other things that we could pull out of these verses, but that's basically all we know about Phoebe. You know, one of the wonderful applications that I think we see replayed throughout this list of names in Romans chapter 16 is that we never know the impact of our service for Christ. Several mentioned in these verses had done something that was seemingly minor, but history records the entire world was affected by it. That was true of Priscilla and Aquila, as we mentioned a minute ago. But it was also true of Sister Phoebe, who all she did was carry a letter. Hmm. Carried a letter in her luggage as she traveled to Rome. Barnhouse put it like this. He said, never was there a greater burden carried by such tender hands. The theological history of the church through the centuries was in the manuscript which she brought with her. The Reformation was in that baggage. The blessing of multitudes in our day was carried in those parchments. You never know when you're serving the Lord. It might seem to be a mundane, simple little thing. And God may use it for magnificent, magnificent results. Well, so we've seen friends. We've seen Phoebe. Let's finish up with just his final thoughts. These are mentioned in verses 17 through 20 and verses 24 through 27. Here we are, we're in the midst of all these personal notes and greetings, and we come across this section, uh, verses 17 and following, uh, where there's another couple of lines of instruction from Paul, just right in the middle of it. And it's as if, as one commentator said, Paul couldn't resist himself. He just had to preach a little bit more before he finally wrapped things up. And of all the grand and cosmic truths that he has brought forth in this wonderful letter to the Romans... The one truth he considered so important that he had to bring it up again one last time was unity, unity around the truth, separation from division and false doctrine. And I would suggest that his emphasizing that as his final injunction gives us a glimpse into just how important he thought that concern was. The gospel that he had written about and preached was the only thing that could establish those who believed said that in verse 25. He had written and preached about this gospel that was the very power to save. That was his key thought. Remember all the way back to the very first uh, study that we did in Romans. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so here's his final reminder, his final little jab at these people, his final little instruction. Stay true to the gospel. Don't stray from the gospel. Don't let another 
preach the different gospel. Separate from those who believe another gospel. Even when the believers were clear about this, and he was, he was quick to say in verse number 19 that he knew they were okay about this in Rome, they still needed the reminder. And we still need the reminder. And so, church, I would suggest this morning, as we wrap up our studies in Romans, let's do it by renewing our commitment to the gospel. It is the power that saves. And it is the power that keeps and establishes us in our walk with Christ. Put up with absolutely no one who would preach anything different from this pulpit, whether it's me or anybody else. Tolerate no watering down of the truth. Require and demand the pure gospel preached clearly and accurately always and ever until Jesus returns. Well, so we conclude. We've brought it to the end of this study in Romans. Thirty-nine Sundays we've spent studying this book of all books. We started out all those weeks ago reminding ourselves that the book of Romans is one of the most important books in the New Testament. It's the magnum opus of the Apostle Paul, uh, his clearest and most complete explanation of the gospel. Of all the books that have ever been published, the Bible is without question the most important. And of all the 66 books that make up our Bible, the book of Romans certainly stands at the top of the heap. And so I would encourage you, believers, brothers, sisters, that you read it over and over. That you do not let the conclusion of this study mark the conclusion of your understanding of Rome. It is the power to save. It is the power to establish you in Christ. Read it over and over and over until Jesus comes. I cannot improve upon Paul's benediction, and so I conclude this study with his words. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandments of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Father God, we are so thankful for the time that we've spent in this book, and I pray that it's been helpful. Lord, I know that it has been helpful to my soul. And Lord, even as we've wrapped it up with just looking at some of these things that uh, maybe some thought, well, this is just Paul's personal information that he's talking to his friends, and yet, Lord, we see even application there to us. Help us to make it. Uh, Lord, I just pray that, uh, that all of us would think now about all the things we've learned from 39 Sundays ago up until today. And I pray, Father, that uh, we apply them to our lives. If, indeed, this book is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, then I pray, Lord, that it, that, it, that power is seen today. I pray that if there's any who throughout this study have been thinking and cogitating and wondering and, and, and just, but just have not yet made a choice, have not yet decided that they want to trust Christ, Lord, I pray nothing would stop them today. And I pray that today would be the day they'd say, yes, I believe it. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me from sin. I believe it, and I accept it today. And Lord, I pray today if there are believers who maybe uh, need to think about the fact that this, is the, uh, this gospel is the thing that establishes us in the faith, and maybe we've drifted, maybe, maybe we're not serving as we once did, or maybe we've just never really served as we should. From the time we trusted Christ, we've always been kind of on the outskirts. I pray that something that has been said, something that has been learned from this book throughout this study 
would just encourage us and fire us up and want us to serve Christ better. Lord, I pray today that as we wrap it up and as we give our invitation, that if there are those here today who don't know you as Savior but need to, I pray they would. And I pray also, Lord, if there are Christians here today who have uh, need of growing closer to you and uh, making some changes because of some of the things they've learned in this study, I pray that they would do that today as well. Some might need to recommit. Some might need to rededicate their life. Some might need to step out and say, I've never trusted Christ. Whatever the needs might be, Lord, as we sing and conclude our service, would you work now? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.